Good morning, everybody. It is a pleasure to see everyone. Let us learn today. We are now up to a very, very big shear. This shear can be subcompartmentalized into a year's worth of shearing, but we're going to do a very, a very quick overview of the Amida. We're up to the what and why of prayer, and we're focusing on the Amida. I want to start off by thanking um, David Foyer, who, David Irene, who are sponsoring um, today's shear, Lili Nishmas, Mrs. Rochelle Foya, whose yards I was just passed this last week, Miss uh, Rachel Bas Altachaim Binyamin, um, Nishmasa Aden. She should have a continued Litzagagan Aden. And uh, thank you for making our learning opportunity to, to think about her. We're going to also learn today, Lili Nishmas Freda Bas Harav Binyamin Eliel, upon the 18th yard site of Dr. Yossi Simpson's mother, which will be this coming Tuesday, Tesla Sivan. She should, she continue to get tremendous nachas as her children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren continue to make siyumim and continue to teach shirim, metzashem, for many, many tzalanga yarim. Um, let's also learn today, as we, we, we know we are at, uh, just finishing the shloshim, or the, the time of the shloshim for Bas Sheva Israel, Israel Levi, Bas Sheva Bas Yaakov Alevi, that's, that's Yitzchak. Siegel's sister, um, Alea Sholem, and for this Shabbos, we just celebrated the Simcha, and I want to thank Eliezer and Judy Cohen, and Dr. Judith Cohen are sponsoring for the Bar Mitzvah of their grand and great-grandson, whose Bar Mitzvah was yesterday, and I heard that Kach Shamati is that he had a fantastic teacher, and that he is taking off in the direction of his teacher, and will continue to spread laning and Torah around the neighborhood and beyond. And that's a, that is a fantastic model. Be'ezras Hashem, he should be able to he should be able to bring Torah to the farthest reaches of the Jewish community. And that's Hashem, like his parents, grandparents, and great grandparents. Mazal Tov. Let us learn Torah. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. The Amida, there's so much to talk about, but a few basics. Let's just make sure we get the basics clear. When am I allowed to start this saying the Amida in the morning? The earliest time is following the Korban Tomid. Are there any extra sources that are floating around? Just uh, just out of interest. Is there? No, 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 there's over here. Okay. There's one whatever there. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Um, so so um, when can one start saying the Amida? In the morning, one can start saying it by the time of sunrise following the Korban Tomid in the morning. However, um, if one is pressed, one is leaving early, one can daven it earlier up to Alois HaShach, which is dawn. So sunrise is around these days, just in the middle of summer, where the earliest it goes is around 5.20 something is uh, sunrise. Minus 72 minutes roughly is dawn, so that's pretty early. You can say Shimon Esrei gets more challenging in the winter. Um, but it is worthwhile noting, and just as a little asterisk, the Kriya Shema has a different time frame. So we might be able to pull the Shimon Esrei back earlier, but we can't pull the, the Kriya Shema back much more before Mishi Yakir, which is a uh, which is a period of recognition, this, uh, which is which is somewhat in the middle of those two time frames. Until when can I start the Rishon Esrei? We have up to four hours, which today around now is around ten twenty something. Okay, that's the fourth relative hour in the day. We take from sunrise to sunset, divide into twelve equal portions, which the hours what are called Shazmania is somewhere around seventy something minutes now, and you add four of those together, and the end of that fourth hour is around ten something. Um, which is the Zman Tvila. If I made a mistake, the way the Shulchan Aruch frames it is, not that if I wanted to get up late, but if I made a mistake and I did not daven it in time, I may daven it afterwards between four and six hours up till the sixth hour, and I still fulfill my obligation of Tvila, not Bizmano, but Tvila. So it's, it's, not, it's not seen as, we'll call it option A or option B, it's, it's considered if I'm in that situation, I'm allowed to. Um, how Master said, allowed, unlike Kriyashma, which operates with different rules, Kriyashma needs to be articulated that you can hear it. Shona Esrei, less imperative to do so. Um, but 
Um, this is this particularly when one's around other people. You don't want to be that person. Um, so, but, but when you're when you when you're by yourself, you may articulate it more, louder. Certainly, position to be in when reciting Shmona Esrei. So this is standing with feet together, leaning without any um, um, any any anything in front of one. So one shouldn't have large um, pieces of furniture in front of one. Uh, one that are four by um, four by ten tefachim high to be a mechitza to be a a. a, a um, a distinction, a separation. One shouldn't have pictures. One should not have mirrors. If one is in front of a picture, one can close one's eyes. Let's say when one's in a base ovel, as an example. Sometimes where one's in an area which was not pre prepared for davening. One's in front of a picture, one may close one's eyes and daven. But if one's in front of a mirror, one cannot even close one's eyes. One cannot daven in front of mirrors. And this happens from time to time because it looks very much like you're davening too. Number one, right? And that's not the way, that's not the way we do things. So uh, um, what, what about the direction? So obviously we know we face Israel, but if you're in Israel, you face Yerushalayim. If you're in Yerushalayim, you face Harabais. If you're on the Harabais, you face the Kodesh HaKadoshim. So that means to say that, you know, when you go under the Kotel, there's the area where the, 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 the Kala and the Chosna get to, to Daven, uh, the closest to the Kodesh Kadashim. It's actually pivoted slightly right, if you, in case you're watching, right? And when you're at the Kotel, you're pivoting slightly left, just because you're facing the Kodesh Kadashim. It's very specific. Um, what happens if I'm in a situation where I cannot? So classic case is that you are on a donkey. Your donkey is not moving towards Israel. You're on a business trip down to Egypt. So now at this point in time, so I'm turning around is not going to be a very favorable thing to be doing with low branches around. So, um, so in that case, what do you do? So the, the, if it's possible to turn one's face, one turns one's face. If one's not able to turn one's face, one, one um, directs one's heart. Which reminds me, and just in honor of Adam, going to do a, just a, it reminds me of a Yekish, uh, a Yekish fellow who is, who is visiting France, and he tells his travel agent that he's on his, his train trip from Paris to Marseille, and he, still, he tells his travel agent that it's very important to him that he's facing the front of the train. He wants to see the landscape as, 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 it, as, it, as it comes. And so he gets on his, uh, on the, the train the long way to trip and, uh, and, and, lo and lo and behold, he's facing the back of the train. And it really upsets him the whole way there. He, he, gets, he, gets, uh, he gets to Marseille, he, he uh, gets right into the hotel, calls up his travel agent and tells his travel agent, I can't believe it, I asked you all this time and it was so important. The one thing that was important to me was facing the front. The travel agent apologizes profusely, I can't, I, I'm so sorry that, uh, that, uh, that, that we did this. He said, but you know, the truth is you could have just asked the guy in front of you just to switch seats, you know, and I'm sure it wouldn't have been such a big thing. He says, that's the problem, there wasn't anybody there to ask. Yeah. <laughs> So it's sometimes hard to be able to face the right direction or not face the right direction. But nonetheless, the, 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 this is the, the, when it comes to halacha, sometimes we're in these situations where one... Um, so this may, may be the situation, let's say, as an example, when one is flying out of Israel. If one's flying to Israel, then it's very easy to be facing Israel, right? <laughs> one just sits, right? But if one is flying away from Israel, it's less easy to do. And, um, and there's a lot of points can we talk about, you know, whether or not one should be davening in the back of the planes. Now these days they're trying to facilitate the chaos. But um, I remember one time I was on one of these LL flights and there were three things that happened at the one time. One was, uh, was dawn, you know, so the sun started rising. The other was turbulence and the other one was breakfast was being served. You know, so you can imagine what that looked like, you know, <laughs> the people, you know, stepping over the, the carts, you know. Anyways, okay, so, so many poets can say you should have an, it's a chil Hashem, you should have an in your seats, don't, uh, um, it's a complicated person has is a chiyuv, but one should be davening in one seat. So if one's in davening in one seat and one's flying away from Israel, one's back is to Israel. So that might be one of those situations where one might be in this situation. Um, so anyways, be it a beer, This is just a very brief overview. There's so many more
halachas, but just a, a, a brief a brief overview in terms of uh, the actual position as well. Let's take a look at, at some of the whys. Um, so first of all, who made the Amida? So you'll notice that when you look in the Siddur, there's things when you, when you have the footnotes which tell you a pasuk or a cross-reference of a pasuk, that means to say that the Siddur is quoting a pasuk. When you look at the Shemona Esra, there's no quotation of Sukkim at all, from the beginning to the end, which just is an obvious indicated that this was not Psukim. This means somebody actually made it, right? It wasn't from the times of Tanakh, it was from after times of Tanakh. So who made it then? So famously, we know the Gemara Brachos tells us in Source 1, Itmar Nami, Brachos, Tvilos, Kedushos, Vavdolos. So um, the, the, the men of the Great Assembly instituted these following parameters, and one of them was Tfilos. The word Tfilah used precisely refers to the Ashwana Esra, the Amira. It's just important to know that we do talk about Tfila in general, and it's a very nice prayer, but it is not technically the term which refers to Shema. It is not the technically the term which refers to Psukkah de Zimra or the Brachos. They have different rules, they have different time frames, they have different way, different triage as we've seen in the past. Well, Tfila itself, this is what we call Tfila is the Shwana Esrei. So it follows its own set of rules. And this is what the primary idea is. So the question is, is so let's say you were Anshay Knesset Zagdon at this point in time. So where do you start? Right, I mean to say, what do you have on your bookshelf at this point in time? All you have is Tanakh, right? That's what you got. So how do you have the audacity? Now, where do you start from to say, well, we're going to make this new thing now? So like, what's the starting point? Like, what do you put on the, pa on the paper first, on the parchment as you're writing? Good, good question to think about. So the, so, so the Gemara tells us that actually there were two places that they, they started with. And these are already two pre-existing um, enterprises which they, 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 they looked to. One was, the Gemara tells us in Brachos Daf Chof Beis, Itmar Reb Yosef Reb Omar Tfilas Avos Tiknum. So the first thing is, is they didn't have to go too far because already the patriarchs and the matriarchs already did davening. They already started davening as well. We know, Vayashkem Avram Baboiker, he davened in the morning. We know that Vayetzah Yitzhak Lasuach Basadi Lifnois Erev, he went out to the field. Obviously each one is referring to a different type of Tfilah. And Vayifka Babakom Yaakov was at night. They say, by the way, why was it that Yaakov invented Marev? You know, because he had 13 kids around bath time at night, you know. <laughs> so you have to... <laughs> okay, sorry. It's, uh, um, so, so now, so Yaakov invents, uh, institutes, institutes Marev. So we have these three different periods of time that they, they focus on their tefillahs. That's, that's all we know. Now, do you know what they said? Do you know how they said it? Nothing. It was organic. It was, it was as they were expressing it themselves. So we have this notion that people were doing this, that people were doing it their, their own way, and they looked to the, we'll call the oral tradition of what people were doing. However, there's another enterprise the Gemara says, and the other one is Rabbi Yosho ben Nevi Omar, Tulos Keneged Timidim Tiknun, was established based on the Timidim. Timidim is the Korban Tamid, which was started already at the times in Sefer Vayikra, when they built the Mishkan, now this is the, 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 the always sacrifice. Why is it called the always sacrifice? Because it's the first sacrifice in the morning, it's the last sacrifice in the afternoon, with the exception of the Korban Pesach, on Erev Pesach, but other than that, all Korbanos were framed by the Korban Tamid in the morning, Korban Tamid in the afternoon, and our Tfilos follow the time frame, in fact, the precise time frame of those, those which is why the Machlokas of four hours or six hours into the day in the morning we just briefly looked at is uh, the same Machlokas about when the Karban Tamid was brought as well, reflected in the Tfilos. And the same thing with Mincha and the Mairiv is reflected about the burning of the, the Emurim, the innards, which are, was on the Mizbech all the night, which is the, the third part, which is why Mairiv shares a somewhat different status than Mincha and, 
um, and, uh, and, and chakras. It's worthwhile noting that if you compare these two entities to each other, they, are, they could not be more diff different. When it comes to Tumidim, to, to the Karbanos, the Karbanos have very specific rigid rules, so much so that thought uh, or, or we'll call organic thought is not welcome. So let's say a carbon decides that he's, you know, he's having a more artistic day today and he wants to sort of think about, you know, you know some sort of, you know, very avant-garde kind of um, idea while he's bringing the carbon. That doesn't work. Even if he thinks chutzlim koimai, even if he's thinking about the wrong place when sacrificing the carbon, the carbon is invalidated. If you think about the wrong timing, the carbon is invalidated even while he's doing the actions correctly. The carbonos are very specific, very rigid. But when it comes to the Avos Tiknum, that's organic. Like as an example, we're about to read Parashas, Parashas Ba'aloischa, at the end of Parashas Ba'aloischa, Moshe Rabbeinu offers a prayer for his sister. What's the prayer he says? Beautiful prayer. Moshe Rabbeinu penned that himself. It wasn't that he looked into any book to, to do that. That was what was coming out of his heart at that time. When did he say that? Was that in the morning, the evening, the afternoon? We don't know. Doesn't matter because that was when he was experiencing it. When you look at Chana, Chana became the format for much of the the tefillahs that we do. You know, do, you know, which siddur was she putting off the shelf? She wasn't. She was pulling off her, uh, off the shelf her heart. And so the organic nature of the creativity that is expressed in the Avos, so to speak, the patriarchs and matriarchs and the leaders of generations all the way till this point is very, very different to the rigid and precise Karbanos. And somehow what Chayin Shekinah Zodala did was they took these two very different entities, two enterprises are coming close to HaKadosh Baruch and they merged them into the Siddur, which is why if you look at the Siddur, the Siddur has both elements to it. The Siddur has very much rigidity, so all the rules, the Watts are very specific, and yet into those what's, into those words, live a very organic, lives a very organic experience itself. Which leads to us to an interesting question. So, um, okay, before getting there, just the way that our Sachs puts it in his introduction to the Koran Sachs, I think it was a very beautiful observation, source four, is he, the second paragraph, he says here, what had once been two quite different forms of worship now became one. Prayer took on the highly structured character of the sacrificial service with fixed texts and times. The silence that accompanied the sacrifice was transmuted into speech. Two traditions, prophetic prayer on the one hand, prayer priestly sacrificial service on the other, merged and became one. This is the remarkable story behind the words, what is the sacrificial service of the heart? Um, that, that refers to Tfilah. So when you say taking these very, very different enterprises, merging them into one, into what the Siddur looks like, is that. The same words with organic space and at the same time the, the fixed stru structure. Um, the question then is asked is, so why do they need to do that? So like meaning, wouldn't it just be better that, that Anshik Nesajala printed uh, blank books which says Siddur Sheli, right? And then everybody gets one of them at the age of, I don't know, let's make a 10 or borrow a bat mitzvah. And then what happens is everybody writes their own Siddur. That should be great, fantastic, wonderful. Right? So what, 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 why do we need it? So the way I understood it over the years is the others created the channel that Hatshikas girl imposed the content. Beautiful. The channel. That was beautiful. That's a very, so it's so a framework of the, yeah. It, that's a very beautiful, very beautiful perception. I think that's what we discussed. That's a very beautiful idea. So the, the, there's different ways of looking at it. And what Moshe is saying is that they were, in a certain sense, they opened up the, 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 the medium. And then what goes into that medium is, is the, the, the medium. That's what Hatshikas girl doing. That they were, taking these two things and merging them into this, into this space. But why, why did they need to do this? Why couldn't we just simply pen our own Twitter? It would be much more organic, it would be much more real, it would be much more, you know, our, our personalized. We all write and print our own Siddurim and we all have, they all look very different with different footnotes and different uh, little post-its on the side. So why, why do we need it? Says, says the Ruach Chaim, Ruach Chaim Velozhna. Well, there's many reasons. One reason is because we never get around to doing it, right? <laughs> Let's be honest with ourselves, right? If we're going to wait until we're feeling it, you know, like that one time a year that we're having that euphoric moment, then we'll, then we'll write our, our Siddur. And what about the rest?
rest of the year. What about when it's a regular Tuesday morning that I need a little bit more extra sleep? That's not, I'm not feeling it right then, so I'm not really writing my sitter then. So the, the point is that we need to have structure. Human beings are structure-based. But, says Rav Chaim even deeper than that. He says it's both the Nefesh Chaim and the Ruach Chaim. Ruach Chaim is his Pirush on Pirkeavos. Nefesh Chaim is a four-part book on, on deeply spiritual matters. And he talks about in the, the, the top of page three, um, the second paragraph, he says, The reason is over here, There's no, since the time of creation, there's never been two Tfilos which have been identical. Um, and have they had the same impact? Every tool is different. So, like, if you think about this for a second, let's reverse in our minds to our self ten years ago. Right? Let's reverse to our ten-year-old personality, and we think about the things that were important to us then. If we just take a moment to sort of sink back into things that are important, think about our family life at the time. Right? Think about the, 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 all the exigencies and all the different things that were pushing us and pulling us at the time. What was important to us, what our tefillah looked like, or what it perhaps didn't even look like uh, ten, 10 years ago. Very different today, right? I, I hope so, right? And that's only ourselves. Now let's imagine, let's, put, let's have uh, identical twins growing up on the same, ba- on the same bunk bed, right? Who, who live their, their life together. So they don't even have the same tefillahs. They, they live in the same, they grow in the same school, they go to the same class, they grow up in the same house, they eat the same breakfast cereal. Right, but nonetheless, they have different tulos. And their tulos are shifting every day as well because their experiences are, are shifting, which means they're seeing different ideas into, in the center. That means to say that tulos has an unbelievable, infinite amount of depth because there's been many, many, many million of Jews who've been living throughout the centuries all looking into the same text, but yet at the same time not in the same space in life, even as twins, and they're davening differently. Says the Rachaim, that's why, that's why it was Anshay Knesset did this, because Anshay Knesset were the tail end of prophets. On the council of Anshay Knesset were Mordechai, Chagai, Zechariah, Melachi, Esther, right? This is all that period of time. They were the last of the prophets. They, they needed to have the depths that they weren't just poetically adept. It wasn't just that they had the right to words. They also had the ability to create words with enough space for us. That we, throughout the rest of the next 2,000 years, had the ability of looking into this fixed text and finding our space. That was what they were doing when they were creating the, the, the Shmon Esther, which is a profound perspective. The way I once thought, heard, about it, heard it and thought about it was um, is from a teacher of mine, Rabbi Ruven Brand, the Rosh Kolel in, in the Torah on the Y Torah Mitzion Kolel in Chicago. He said, imagine like a, um, for those who are planting their gardens right now, a tomato stand um, which a person gets, let's say, at the local hardware. They all look exactly the same. All these, so, you know, the ring, the, the three rings and the, and, the, and, and, the, and the wires, and you put them on the ground, they all look the same. But if you grow any tomato bush, no tomato bush looks the same because they all grow in their own way because that's just how organic life works. Same thing with our tefillahs. Anjik Nesadola gave us the frame. And then the question is, is, how does our bush grow into that frame? That's the space. They were taking the ovos, which is the organic space, the timidim, which is the structure, putting them together and allowing us to grow into it. But they gave us the wherewithal into which our, uh, the, the, our, our, we, we grow our personal experience, which is why I said it looks very different, but they, it's within that context. So then the question becomes, is we're going really fast. So what did they do beforehand? <laughs> so before Anjek Nesgadana came along, so what were people doing exactly? Um, and so they, you know, like, and by the way, Anshayi Nesadola lived at the beginning of the second base of Mingdash. So what were they doing for the first base of Mingdash? 
The Ramam says, well, actually, if you want to read about this, the Ramam in his introduction to Tefillah, in Hilchos Tefillah, in the four, um, Aleph, Aleph Dalit says, listen to this description in Source 5. Kevon Shegolu Yisrael Bimei Nebuchadnezzar Rosho, Nisorvu Beprosva Yovim Nashara Almois, Bimei Yisrael, once we went into the exile, we became terribly assimilated. Vinold Eloim Bonim Habaratos Agoyim, and the children were born in foreign lands. Vinold Eloim Bonim, Nisbalbulu Swasom, Vinold Swasko Echor, Vinold Moarevis, Bilashonis Harbei. And they became a little com confused, the children. They were starting to, you know, going to Persian, Persian elementary schools, going to Babylonian high schools. They were not learning, the, uh, Hebrew was not their first, their first language. They simply had no way to be able to express themselves in, a, in a, an appropriate manner. Uh, quoting the Pasuk in Nehemiah, they were speaking um, Ashdodian, right? That's the Gazan area over there, right? Um, they simply could not speak Hebrew. So they simply could not express themselves properly. They did not have the wherewithal anymore to be able to say they express their tefillahs. And then they had all these other dialects. So they were responding to this devolution, unfortunately, the fact that the B'nai Israel were not in space to be able to express themselves properly, and therefore they did this. So what happened was, apparently, during the times of the first days of Midrash, people were, in their own organic way, able to, to express themselves in their own way. But as assimilation and intermarriage hit, because this was a time of huge intermarriage, even when they returned to Israel, at that point in time, Sheikh Nazareth says, we need to, to fix things because it's not working. In a, in a more prof, uh, profound sense as well, Rabbi Bin Lau, in his book, The Sages, in volume one, talks about this, and he says, he makes a very beautiful observation about a shift in the way that we connect to our Kodesh Baruch Hu in source six, second column, on the right-hand side, four lines in, the men of the great assembly understood that the life of simple people Far from the temple, a rural farmer perhaps, had no spiritual dimension or possibility of touching the holy. They saw that, on, the, that only by formalizing the relationship between the individual and his creator would all people have access to their inner spiritual lives. Prayer and blessings introduced a framework of basic religious consci consciousness into the religious world of the layman. This was a revolution that called upon every Jew to participate actively in the service of God rather than simply rely on the knowledge that sacrifices were being offered in the temple on his behalf. So in a certain sense, it's the de democratization of the relationship to God in a formal way. So therefore, if a person who might be unschooled, unlettered, living in a farm up in the northern Galilee, who really may have only come in once for Bikurim or an Aliyah from time to time as they're able to, is now no longer having those three, four times a year where they can connect to the Rebona Shalala, but every morning as they're milking the cows, right? They have the opportunity of now having a framework, having something to say, having a way to express themselves to Hashem. It was a shift, it was a revolution. Why was it matching this with what the Ramam just said? If you think about this very carefully, it makes a lot of sense. After the experience of exile, where people no longer had a centralized worship, they no longer had the best midrash. Now that they came back, Ashenkin and Sododola realized <laughs> that in order to survive another exile, in order to survive that experience where you no longer have centralization, and remember the base of Minish at this point in time is still paying taxes to Persia, right, just to appreciate this, then they, they said we need to have something which is beyond simply the scope of the base of Migdash. It's worthwhile thinking about the, the, the willingness to do that is a very humbling experience. It's, it's a very um, um, different model of serving our Kodesh Baruch, which they were achieving uh, when they instituted um, the Tefillahs. Let's go for a little further. Let's, let's zone in a little bit now. So what, what is the structure? We all know this very famously. The Gemara tells us that the way that the Shwan Esra is structured is very simple in that it begins with Shevach. It has the middle Bakasha, which is request, and the end it has Hoidah, which is thank you. So generally, generally speaking, 
Whenever we have a conversation with Hashem, even let's say a person is doing this organically. So let's say a person is engaging in his spoilers, in alone time with themselves and the, and the, the Almighty, whichever you should do, they should schedule it. Um, one should start in the same way. So let's say a person wants to have a conversation with the Almighty, wants taking a walk in a very beautiful place. The first thing a person says, Hashem, you've been so good. Akash Baruch you, 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 you've given me life, you've given me such a shevach, right? Put things in perspective. Then the request and then the thank you for everything in the past as well. So it's the general structure that it works. The first three brachos are um, the shevach, the last three brachos, the hadah, and the middle three, 13, as we have it, are the requests. Um, that's what the Gemara tells us. And we learn this from Moshe Rabbeinu, the way he structured Vayas Khanan. <coughs> yes, the Pesukah Zimra is an extension of the Shevach, exactly. It's the, it's the beginning of that Shevach leading to the Shevach of the Shemona Esra itself, and, uh, as it goes. The question you may ask, and everybody asks, is but the Hodah doesn't seem to be one theme, right? I mean, what are the last three brachos of the Shemona Esra? Ritzay, Moedim, and Shim Shalom. Yes, it may seem that Moedim is thank you, but it doesn't seem like Ritzay and, and Shim Shalom are too much of a thank you, right? So actually the Radvaz answers this and he says in Source 8 in his, in his response in Yeradeh, he says, Nikru kulam The main one is Moedim, which is, how do you know it's the main one? Because you bow at the beginning and the end of it. It's, there's only two brachas in the Shemona Esra which have bowing, the first at the beginning and the end, and the 18th at the beginning and the end. He says, therefore, potato, you should know, she tignuba kriyava rishana vesalva, lafishi hi, ikar, tignuba bracha lafonel lacharia, wakashir also bakriyashma. Va bracha rishana hi, she yirtse vishma tilosenu. Ritsay is, Hashem, after we said all these requests, please listen to our tilos. Let's have the opportunity of having sacrifice back, Ritsay. That's called avoida. Vihi kolela skomashi svala lukvar, and that's a catch all of all the prayers we've done. Let's have the opportunity of sacrifice, the centralization of our worship. And then we say thank you. We think about Shalom as world peace, right? Coexistence. That's not what the, the, the Radvaz says. It is about saying, Shalom, we, we leave as we walk backwards. You know, in Rav Hutton's study, he used to have a, a buzzer to release the door. You had to ask permission to leave his office, right? That's the way it works. So when I go to Baruch it's like, you know, God, I've just given you my laundry list and peace. That's, you know, it has to be that you're walking out in a requisite fashion. Kosh Baruch we ask you for peace in the world. Right, it's, it's, there's also an element of requesting to leave, which is, which is over there. But the, so he's acknowledging that it's not germane to the theme of the, um, of the, entire, the entire process. Now, let's, let's dig a little further. Again, we're going just really fast, but just it's important to, to appreciate this. There are 13 brachas in the middle of the Shemona Esraim. And in a certain sense, we say, okay, it's bakosh, it's all kind of requests. So if, if you were to think in your mind what you would have written, meaning to say, let's say you had 13 blank spaces, and you were asked, what are the 13 things you would wish for in life? I imagine that we would have come up with a very different list than the, what Anshay Knesset came up with. Fair? Right? I mean, uh, yeah, some of them we could certainly adopt and copy and, and, and appreciate. But in, in, in all, I think we, we, would, we all acknowledge that we would have come up with something different. And then we actually ask ourselves, is, are these the things that we really do want? Is this something which is, which is reflecting our needs? Um, that, that these are the things we want. So it is worthwhile noting, and Ra Sachs has this, this unbelievable observation, and the, the way he does it is like this. Let's take the, the middle 13 brachas of Shemona Esra, right? take off the last one, which is Shema Koleinu, which itself is general. Listen to all our tefillas, right? I mean, I don't come last to go return empty-handed. Let's take a look at the 12 before that, right? And, and, and analyze them, says Ra Sachs, um, with the following, the following thought process. Are they about the individual or the community? Or are they about, and are they about physical versus spiritual needs? Two questions, two binary options, okay? A, B, and C, D. Those are the, that's the question that he asks. So if you look at the first three, you'll notice that we asked for Das, Teshuvah, and Slicha, right? 
So th- that, that is knowledge, um, the process of return to Hashem, and atonement. Those are clearly on the realm of individual versus um, communal. Those are clearly, clearly individual, right? These are the sins that I made, the knowledge that I need, and so on. Are they spiritual or are they physical needs? They are clearly spiritual. Knowledge, tshuva, right? So I'm starting with essentially spiritual individual. Move on to the next three, which um, is somewhat of a, most people don't focus too much on that bracha. But if you look at it, is uh, the, the way that we actually say the bracha is So as many of the folks who understand this is HaKadosh Baruch stop us fighting internally. Meaning to say is like, let, let's all the fights, the families, the neighbors, the, the, they start, Hashem allow us to have a gu'ula. Not just, there's not a gu'ula as in later on in the Shemona Israel. It's referring to personal gu'ulas in the, in, in the realm of our day-to-day life. Um, the, uh, um, and then we have obviously refuah and Boreich Oleinu, which is healing and sustenance. If you think about those, those are actually individual brachas, are they physical or spiritual level? These are physical. So now we've moved from individual spiritual to individual physical. The next three brachas we look at, which are the brachas of Kibbutz Goddess, return of the exile, justice, return of justice, Hashem's justice, and the Birkas of cursing the heretics. These are now shifted away from the individual. These are no longer individual needs, not knowledge that I need in my life now, but rather let's have the ingathering of the exiles. Let's have return of justice. These are communal needs. Are they physical or spiritual? They are actually physical. Return of the exiles, that's everybody coming back to Israel, the justice system being in place, and, um, and the cursing of the heretics, those who seek, seek to destroy us. Physical needs, not of the individual, but of the community. And finally, the last three, Tzadik and Benin Rishulam Malchus based off it, which is Mashiach. Those are clearly communal larger issues, but they are spiritual issues. So if you think about it, the way it's structured is actually it's a chiastic structure, which means to say it's A, B, B, A. So that means to say it goes spiritual, physical, physical, spiritual. And in terms of the needs, it starts the first half. The first six are individual needs. The second half are um, communal needs. Now, we all knew this, even though we perhaps don't think about this on a day-to-day basis. You know why? Because if I were to ask well, most people, what are the, are the brachas that a person gravitates towards the most? What would we automatically say? The, the, the ones that we always gravitate towards are the physical individual, which is the second quadrant, which is refuah and sustenance. If we knew what Rev Onion was, would also, that would also be uh, essential. Which means that the most, the most tangible part of our lives, our daily lives, are the ones which are about the things that are immediate physical needs. Sustenance, refuah, and, 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 and less lack of infighting and, and, in, our, in our lives. That's what we gravitate towards. Those, those are the most immediate ones. Isn't it interesting? That's the quadrant of physical individual. The, what the Shemonesh is doing, us, doing with us is it's stretching us. Anshikinazot are stretching us to think about needs which are not just spiritual, not just individual, and not just physical. It's stretching us to think about what does Klal Yisrael need at this point in time? What is the nation of Israel? Are we willing to want these things? Are we willing to want to aspire to want these things? Is, is the question of Shemona Esra, which is why there are four quadrants as well. And if the answer is no, then the question is, is what are we doing to get there to want that? So that's, uh, that, that's what's happening over here. It's an educational process rather than simply a laundry list um, as, as well. Which leads us to an interesting question, which is, okay, so if that's the case, it seems that the central part of the Amida, the whole Tula, this whole program that Anshak Nesra have set up for us, is a program um, that we are color-coded. That's why we didn't color today. Um, it, was, it was just to see, uh, see the quadrants in color. It makes things a little easier. Um, but so if that's the case, isn't it interesting that Bakasha request is the central part? I would have put it the other way around. I would have said like this. Shevach is the main part of Shemona Esrei. Hashem, you're incredible, you're wonderful. Mechayim, um, all that is amazing, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And then, by the way, 
Hashem, you wouldn't mind, you know, the, the, laundry, the, the laundry machine, you know, the, the, the washer broke last night, if you, you know. So we could add that in at the end, you know, say, why is Bakosha in the middle? That's the main part, that's the main part of the sandwich. Um, that seems like a little bit, you know, a little bit, a little bit off, off color. So, so the, it's interesting to note that actually it actually is the central part of how we grow. The Rav, Rav Pinkus says in Shara Metulin, so this is a deeply spiritual idea in Source 9, second paragraph, he says, The Gemara Baba Kama tells us, Mave, this unknown entity in the Mishnah called a Mave, it's one of the Mazikim, one of the things that we're responsible for if it damages, is called Mave. And the Gemara says, what does Mave mean? Ze Adam. It refers to Adam Amazik. Not our animals, not our fire, not, not our pits, but us, us as people who damage. Dixiv, Omar Shomer Osaboiker, Vagam Laila, Pasukod Nishayao, Im Tabayun, Baayu. The word Mave comes from the word Baayun, which means request. Hainu Bakosha. That means the things that we ask for. Shezoi Metzil So Adam. How do you say that Mave? which is the notion of request, is the definition of an Adam. That might be something that people do, but is that who they are? He says, no. We are in a constant state of dependency, where our entire life is, we, we never get to a point where we say, thank you so much for the ride, and we're good now. We never get there. There's always something. We're in this constant state of need, and in a constant state of need, we're in a constant state of request, which means the very essence of who we are is Mav'eh is to request. And that is captured in the Shemona Esra where we channel those requests to the Almighty. It's not that we write it off, it's not that we ignore it, we're not apathetic to it, we are a request. That's who we are. And essentially, and in a sad way, if you think about this, if we ask ourselves who we really are, we are really what we request. We are what we want. And, and like the average person, and certainly in the Western society, if you ask an average person what it is that you want, you know, it, the answer may be just being on a beach in the sun, you know? If you're like, like whittled down to uh, the, the, the essence of, of society is, is let me have space, let me have free time, let me have the time to just relax, right? And if that's, who we, if that's what we ultimately want, not as a, as a, so to speak, a step to somewhere else, that's a very sad thing, right? What the Shwanesh is saying is, is, are we a person who wants this? Are these things that we want? Is Kibbutz Goliath on the radar screen? of what we want. Is that who we are? Is the question we're asking. So it's not an ancillary, tangential piece of the Shemona Esra. It's, it's, a, it's an essence of what we are, is what we want. That's a very, that, that, that's what Chazal, Anshik Nazarudu were, were doing when they said this. Moish? Quick point, I'm not sure why Repentus had to go to the Baba Kama. Remus, the Rashi Rav Ramesh, but other ayin, Absolutely. So it starts at the very, very beginning, as you're pointing out. That's why the plants waited till day six. Let's go a little further. Well, um, so what should we be focusing on when we're davening? So just very, very briefly, the Ramam tells us um, in, in our Lachos of Tula, in, the, in the, the beginning of the fourth parak, he says there's five things if you're missing, doesn't work. Your Tula's out. What is they? You need to wash your hands. This, by the way, is so easy. In those days, the Gemara, the Gemara talks about going out of your way a meal. Like, you know, going out of your way a kilometer just to find water. <laughs> we just need to go around the corner here. It's like we have wash bases with flowing water, right? But, uh, but most people forget this. Sometimes we're running up to Mincha where one should skip Ashray to do an Tila Sadaim. Uh, the Rabbim says, it stops one's, one's davening. 
Kisui ha'erva. That means to say a person needs to be covered. The private parts of a person need to be covered. Taras mokom atvila needs to be a, a, a pure space. One can't have dirty things in the area. Udvarim ha'chov sinoisoi. Vakavona salev. An intention. So all distractions need to be removed and intention of the heart. So the Rambam believes that if you don't have intention of the heart, if you don't have kavona, you do not, not, not fulfill your obligation of tefillah. The Rambam goes on to discuss what kavona salev looks like in the next few halachas, and he talks about emptying your heart of other things, not having distractions. If you don't have that, says the Rambam, you're done. Your tefillah is missing. That's a pretty severe statement, and that's because that's not a very good, not, not a very favorable reflection on our, our the the reality of our lives. But it turns out the Rambam a few halachas later. In the the tenth parak, actually says, take a look at source eleven. Let's say you get to the end of your Shmona Esrei, and you know, sort of as a blank screen, you don't really remember what you just did. At that point in time, he says you need to return. However, if you had kavana in the first bracha, then you and the rest then sort of turns into a white noise. Then there's no, um, there's no, you do not have to return. So the the question which is asked is, so which is it? Meaning, do you need kavana in all of the tilla which the Rambam indicated in the first in Perek Dalad, or do you need it only in the first the, the first halacha? You may say it's lechachilo bediavet, but the Rambam doesn't seem to be saying that because in the Perek Dalad he seems to say if you don't have kavana in all of the tilla, you do not fulfill your obligation. Yet in Perek Yud he seems to say it's only in the first bracha. So which is it? Which leads the one of the greatest of the pirushim on the Rambam, Rav Chaim Risk, in his chidushe chidushe Rav Chaim on the Rambam to say that in fact as uh, uh, in Brisket Torah there are. To dinim, there are two aspects when it comes to tefillah. One is what he says, yeah, and this is just a very profound. This is the second art. This is the second essay Rav Chaim has on the Rambam in, in general, and I'm not going to read it inside. But the, Ram, the he says the well, let's look at the first line, then we'll uh, do the rest outside. Nira loimar the trei gavne kavonas yeshu tefillah. There are two different types of tefillah. Ha'achas the one is kavana shall pirush advarim. Understanding what you're saying, v'yosoda who din kavana. That's what it means. V'hatshenis shi'chaven shu oimed betefillah lifnei Hashem. You need to know that you're standing in front of God, God Almighty. So says Reb Chaim, when it comes to knowing what you're saying, knowing the words you're saying, that is important for the first bracha at the very least. You need to know what you're saying in the first bracha. When it comes to standing in front of Hashem, that's true about the whole thing. Meaning to say, if, I, if I'm in a space where my tefillah is simply understanding what I'm saying, and I don't have the sense that I'm standing, I have the opportunity of standing in front of the Almighty, I have the sense that I, that I have the opportunity three times a day of engaging a Kodesh Baruch in a formal setting, then you miss the whole point. That subconscious, that latent awareness of being in front of the Almighty, that I have the ability to do that, that is, that, that, that is something which is, is, is required for the entire tefillah. Now, it doesn't mean to say that I need to be standing every moment and saying, you know, and reminding myself and articulating that, but that needs to be the subconscious latent awareness of the process of tefillah. It doesn't work otherwise, if I'm just saying words. That's, the, that, that's what the Rebbe Chaim says over here. Very, very important to appreciate, because sometimes we get lost in the Pirush, and even this series of what we're learning right now, is still very granular. All the details we've been learning is a, a lot of a lot of details. But what Reb Chaim is, is saying is that when a person is in tefillah, they're actually standing in front of the Almighty. That piece cannot be negotiated, cannot be removed. It's important to have that. And that is true about the entire process of tefillah. One needs to have that consciousness as well, which I imagine we have, but it, it requires sometimes re-articulating in order to redirect the subconsciousness. Two more questions and we'll, we'll hold here. Um, question number, the, the, next, the question is, is, so why are there 19 brachas if there were only 18 brachas. We call the Shmona Esrei. That, that name is a little bit outdated. So why is it that there, there are 19 brachas? 
So we know one of the answers to that, but there are a few answers. So one thing which is worthwhile being aware of is that according to the Talmud Yerushalmi, there were 17 brachas, and they added on an, eight, an 18th bracha. So, what, so if that's the case, so there must mean there was one more missing. What was that missing bracha? So according to the Yerushalmi, it seems, and uh, many, many suggest that actually there were two brachas which were very similar to each other, which were one bracha. And which are, which are the, what are those? Yerushalayim and Semach Tov Avdochah Meretz Hasmiach, because Yerushalayim and Mashiach, those two, those two last brachas in the we'll call it fourth quadrant of communal spiritual, really, um, really of the same idea. Return to Jerusalem, and part of return to Jerusalem is with Mashiach, right? So those two actually in the Yerushalmi were actually one bracha, and they merged apart from 17 to 18, and then there was a 19th bracha added to them according to the, 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 tra the tradition in Yerushalmi. Very interesting perspective. More famously, we are always aware that the 19th bracha is the Mashiach and the heretics. So actually this developed at a different time. This is to quickly just, just, just time reference ourselves. The Ajak Nesla lived at which point in history? Beginning of Bayes Shani. So that means to say that for the period of Bayes Shani, they had these, these 18 brachas. That's why I call it called the Shemona Esrei. When did the 19th bracha of the Malashinim enter? Well, the Gemara tells us in, in source, um, in, this is source 14, brachas chav tesem beis, tana rabbanon shimon apukuli, histir shimon esrei brachas, divnei rabban gamliel, ala seide b'yavne. So they had the 18 brachas in Yavne. Yavne is already which time? When, when is the seat of rabbinic uh, authority in Yavne? Post the destruction of Ayas Shani. So we're talking already now a number of centuries, four centuries afterwards. Rabban Gamaliel says, well, we need to establish a bracha for the minim. What does Rabban Gamaliel mean by the minim at this point in time, at this point? So it, it's referring to the early Christians, it's referring to many sectarian groups of the Jews themselves. Right, to who are, the Christians were a sectarian group, there are many sectarian groups. At this point in time, just to appreciate what's happened, the Prushim, the Pharisees, that's traditional Jew, rabbinic Judaism, has left Jerusalem, that's why they're in Yavra right now. Um, uh, 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 back in Jerusalem, they were still killing each other while the Romans killed them, right? The people killed in Jerusalem were not the Pharisees. They were not. Those were the, those were the different groups of sectarian groups: the Sicarii, the Sadducees. There was a whole bunch of revolutionaries fighting and killing each other, and then the Romans came and killed them after that. Um, so Judaism was in shambles, and there were many inf much infighting and, and all kinds of terrible things going on. So Rabban Gamliel says, "Who's going to take a say bracha about these people are really ripping us apart from the inside?" And so the Gemara says. Um, is it, it says, Ahmad Shmuel HaKatan Vatikna. So Shmuel HaKatan uh, established it. So already, this is uh, centuries after the establishment of Shmuel Esra, this uh, 19th bracha was added. Then he forgot it. So that's a little bit of a dangerous thing. Why, why, why is it a dangerous thing? Because it probably did not mean to say that, you know, he forgot the Nusach. Right? What, what does that mean? He probably say that he did not say it. He wasn't willing to say it. And they waited for him for a few hours. To say it, but um, they did not. Uh, they did not uh, remove him. Why would they remove him? Why would? Why? Why should they have removed him? Because if you don't say it, then there's perhaps an indication that he himself had already switched coats, right? So that's a, that's a dangerous thing. So it says, "Amai loyelu." Why did they not remove him? If a person makes a mistake in the Birkas Shmona Esra, you, you give them gentle corrections, but you don't remove them from the Amud. Birkas Aminim Ma'alin Asaf, if you leave out that bracha, you make a mistake in that bracha, you get kicked right out because that, that shows you that you're unfortunately part of the, the heresy. So Gemara says, Chayshin an Shem Aminu, Shari Yishu Bi Kodzir Zmin, Shani Rabi Shmona Kodzir, Di Yutak Takna. So he was the one who made it. 
they weren't going to take him away. So it's interesting. Why was it? Why did it take a Shmuel Akaton to be able to do this? Many of the Farshim say, take a look at his teaching. What is the, 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 the bumper sticker that Shmuel Akaton had on his car? I mean, you say, what was it? What was the, the, the real primary teaching, which is the hallmark of his life? Humility. Humility. Take a look at more than that, even. Take a look at the office, uh, um, the fourth parak, parak, Mishnah Yud Tes. Shmuel Akaton, Aimer, bin foil a yivcha al when your enemies fall, don't rejoice. Don't rejoice upon their failure. Notice something about this as well, is that he didn't even say a word there. That Shmuel HaKad simply was quoting a Pasuk. That entire mission was a Pasuk. That's very unusual. Usually, you're saying your own statement, you quote a positive to augment your position. Shmuel Akadon isn't even saying his own thing. This became his hallmark was this. And the reason this is so important that Shmuel Akadon was the one to establish the 19th bracha is because if you ask anybody else to decide to talk about the enemies of the Jews, you know, when they're writing their bracha, they're busy thinking about their neighbor who plays the music too loud and the person, the, the tax collector who overcharged them and all the other things in their life, right? And so they needed to have somebody who had no personal vendettas who had no personal feelings of ill so when he was establishing a bracha which we would be able to use for the multiple multiple enemies of the jews throughout all the generations who seek to destroy us it would be a pure incandescently open bracha without anybody the author's own personal neighbor problems and intense which is why i took shmuel, shmuel hakaton and even his name was hakaton because he did not view himself in that way so just to appreciate that and finally well let's close with the chazara sashat is arguably the weakest time in our davening because generally speaking and just if we're going to do an audio meter over here about the time that there's the most talking in the shorts you usually doing chazara sashat and kriya satara the reason for that is, is because there's less engagement Right, we're doing less. So when we're doing less, that's when conversations seep in. So, and, and part of that is, is that we have this notion based on the Gemara at the end of Rosh Hashanah, the very end of the Rosh Hashanah, is the reason why we have the Chazar Sashat is something which is inconsequential to us. Why? Because the Gemara tells us, based on the teachings of this Machlaik, Ramon Gabriel and the Chachamim, that the reason as we have the Chazar Sashat is because the Am Shebesadas, those who are unschooled and unlettered who come into Shul, they can't say the Shonesh themselves, so we have the Chazar Sashat. And in fact, that's the way that it sounds like from the Gemara. And with the way the Rambam talks about it in the Shulchan Aruch, even if you look at the Shulchan Aruch in Source 18, <coughs> Shulchan Aruch Paskins, Let's say you have a learned community. Thank God we are in a community. We have the, many people have the opportunity of going to a day school, learning, learning Torah at a high level. We're 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 in a very blessed community. So let's say the whole community is 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 um, our experts. One should still do the Chazar Sashat as a memory to the Tagan Sashat. So, if that's all that it is, then we say to ourselves, well, really, that was in yesteryear, that was for those people, but not for us, right? And so, in a certain sense, we take it a little more frivolously. The truth is, that's not really the only thing that's going on in the Chazar Sashat. It's not just about the people who need to have the repetition of the Shmon Esrei. As an example, just to say, take a look at the Kavach Chaim. Who's the Kavach Chaim again? Rabchaim Palaji, a tremendous author, um, wrote, wrote, wrote footnotes to the Shulchan Aruch, and he says in, in Simon Kufchov Dalad the following, um, in, 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 it's in, in a footnote two, he says, Sham, Shim Yashmi Sha'ena Yodav Zeo Lefib Shat. He says, the fact that the, the, the Chazar Sashat is for the person who doesn't know, that's the most basic level of the Chazar Sashat. He says, the Yodua, he says it shouldn't be known. So Chazal weren't giving us the entire cabinet. I'm saying like they weren't telling us everything at once. <laughs> they're, they're not telling us as if, as if this is the be all and end all. 
times, there are certain times in history, like the times of um, Rav Luria, um, that, that, that there were certain things which came more aware. We were able to look in and peer in a little deeper. And we became more aware of the, the idea of Chazara. That in fact, there's more consequence to the Chazara Sashats than even the, the personal prayer in silence. There are two separate ideas as well. I mean to say... Um, Skipping to lines, Lochain, Harizal, Bachazar Sashats, or Oitzem, Enov, Shamel, Miskaven, Dire Ashats, Komoshkos, Bashara Kavonas. Now, Arizal would close his own eyes when listening to the Chazar Sashats because he believed that it was more consequential to our davening than even the Tulas Hayachid. And, and, and he goes on to quote a number of other things, two lines down, Lochain, and the Bala Chazar, Bashum Pam, Shachris, Musaf, Umincha, Elo Davko, Bamokam, Deiko Oines. And he goes on to describe how this affects some of the aspects of Halacha. So he's saying, don't make the mistake. Of thinking that Chazal were telling us the only idea behind Chazal's search, there's much more spiritually to that, uh, to it, and, there, and it can be appreciated in a more um, perhaps um, accessible uh, per- perspective. Rav Soloveitchik talks about this as well, and he's medayik from the Rambam. Let's take a look at um, at source 17 as an example. Um, and the Rambam, in the, when discussing this. Uh, has a different way of describing the Chazar Sashas. He says, What is the Tulas Hatzibur? One Davin's allowed and everybody else listens. Um, and he, go, and he, go, he go, goes on to describe it. And go, but notice the language. What does he call the Chazar Hashats? He calls it Tulas Hatzibur. This is to be differentiated with the idea of Tula Betzibur. Tefillah B'tzibur means to say that my tefillos have greater access when I'm davening in a minion. Right? So it's important for me to not just, you know, the coastal my roomie is wonderful, but in the end of the day, I have to, I have to get to shul because when I daven in, in the minion, I, I have further access. That's, uh, that's Tefillah B'tzibur. But that's my silent monastery. The Ramam uses different language when it comes to Chazal Shatsi, he calls Tefillahs Hatzibur. What Rav Soloveitchik understands in, in going through the eighth parak of the Rambam in Hilchos Tefillah, understands that there is an entity of what is called the personal davening and the communal davening. And yes, in the Shon Esra it has both elements, it has individual and communal, but in a certain sense what the Chazar Sashatz is, is it is now reflecting the needs of the entire community, this entire congregation are now being expressed as well. Which means it's actually a different entity altogether for what I was just doing two minutes ago. And for me it always makes me feel very uncomfortable is that if our Chazar Sashatz looks, uh, um, looks somewhat different to our Tefillah Sayachid, what essentially we are saying is, Hashem, what really matters to me is me. And <laughs> what matters to the community, not as much. That's, it's, it's important to reframe that and understand that there are two parts of what we're doing. First, we're asking as individuals, and then we're asking as a community. And boy, do, uh, does, uh, does every community have needs. And once, uh, once I remember somebody said, why is it that we say in Sim Shalom, Barakat Hashem, what's the last words? That Hashem should bless his, uh, the nation of Israel with peace. Suddenly you said to me, like, what about world peace? <laughs> Are we so focused on ourselves that we are only talking about the nation of Israel? What about right? So I remember I once asked uh, one of my, my teachers, Rabbi Eli Baruch Shulman, in Wa'ir, and I said, you know, what, what is why we're being so, so particularistic? And he says, if you look at the needs of just one community, you could spend more than your lifetime just asking for the needs of one community. There's so many troubles, there's so much pain just in one community. 
Even getting to Amal Yisrael is, is, a, is a stretch for the needs of Shalom, for the needs of, the, the needs of, of cohesion and, and harmony. And so if you think about it for, for a moment, that's what Chazar Sashatz is. The Chazar Sashatz is, is what are our needs as an entity. So folks, we, we, this, this has been a, a obviously as, as, as we've we most probably know and have appreciated all these things, this is a quick Chazar on most of the, the most basic points. Where the Amidah comes from, the two entities Anshik Nasrallah used to fix it, what do people do before they had this, the idea of the democratization of the process of relationship with Hashem, the structure Sheva Bakosha Adal, why the Bakosha is divided into four quadrants. We looked at the idea of why Bakosha itself is so central to the human experience, um, what the focus in davening is, the focus of being in front of the king and the focus of knowing what we're doing, the 19th bracha and who instituted it, and finally the, the point of Chazar Sajat. Just really a, a larger perspective on the Amida, hopefully something that, uh, that is a, uh, jogs the memory and the appreciation as we go through this ourselves.